Good morning. It's hard to believe that uh, Thanksgiving is already here, isn't it? For about the past 15 years, my family in Wisconsin has gathered at the home of one of my brothers. Uh, he has hosted, and my brother, it's Ron. He is the master chef of the Weber Charcoal Grill. And uh, everybody gathers, aunts and uncles, my cousins, my brothers and their wives, nieces and nephews. It's a, it's a large gathering. And my brother will have three Weber grills going with a turkey in each one, and, he, and they're always done to perfection. I don't know how he does it. Um, I won't be there this year, but I will be with friends here, and I hope that you also will be with friends or family this week celebrating uh, this holiday, and uh, safe travels for you if you're traveling, and uh, safe travels for family members if they're, if they're coming in. Last Sunday, we took a, a closer look at baptism and what it means for the church, and today we're going to consider another sacrament that we celebrate in the church, and that is the Lord's Supper. And like baptism, this also is something which Christ commanded his church to observe, and it also has visible elements, like baptism has water. This has uh, certain visible elements as well, uh, the bread and the wine in our case uh, grape juice. And through this, we remember and celebrate Jesus' death and what it means for us. It's sort of cool, though, that it happened today, that we're on this topic today, uh, because one of the major themes of the Lord's Supper is thanksgiving, giving thanks. I'd like to say that I planned it that way, but I didn't. Uh, but maybe God did, because perhaps as we head into this week, as we reflect on all the things that we have to be thankful for this morning, we're going to be reminded of what we have most to be thankful for. And that's our Savior, Christ, and what He has done for us. There's uh, an image coming up here. You maybe have seen uh, The Last Supper. This is Leonardo da Vinci's uh, Renaissance painting of the Passover meal, the Last Supper that Jesus had with His disciples. And uh, by the way, did you see in the news this last week that there was another Da Vinci painting uh, that was sold at auction this last week? It is called uh, Salvador Mundi. I don't know if you've ever seen that image. It's a picture of Christ with his hand raised, giving the benediction, and in his hand he's holding a glass orb representing the world. It means Savior of the world. That picture sold this week for over $450 million. Somebody's having... A Thanksgiving this week. <laughs> so, um, it was at the Last Supper, again, the context was the Passover meal, that Jesus gave us what we call the Lord's Supper or Holy Communion, uh, sometimes called the Eucharist. And the scripture this morning is 1 Corinthians 11. Now, I said all of the, gospel, all of the gospels record Jesus' Last Supper, the upper room, if you will, the meal that Jesus gave to the disciples. It's in every one of the Gospels. But we're going to go to uh, 1 Corinthians today to hear Paul's um, uh, take on that, if you will, because he's offering instruction to the church, which is why we're looking at it today. So 1 Corinthians chapter 11, it's page 1113 in the Pew Bible this morning. By the way, I would encourage you this morning, if you would, if you want to, to take notes. There are some, I have some important things to share this morning. Um, not, that I don't, not that I don't other mornings, but, you know, here's, here's my thing. It's so, sort of funny. When I, when I have preached on baptism in the Lord's Supper before, 
it, it doesn't seem to make much difference to people. I sometimes wonder, did you hear what I said? And so maybe there might be some things that you'll actually hear today that you haven't heard before. And if you write them down, you might think about them more. And you might even write them down because you have a question about it. Then you can come back and ask me, what did you mean by this? So, okay, 1 Corinthians 11. As I said, Paul's giving instruction to the church at Corinth because the church was abusing uh, the Lord's Supper, they were misunderstanding the, the, the point of it, and so Paul offers instruction. I'm starting with verse 23. For I received from the Lord what I also passed on to you. The Lord Jesus, on the night he was betrayed, took bread. And when he had given thanks, he broke it and said, This is my body, which is for you. Do this in remembrance of me. In the same way, after supper, he took the cup, saying, This cup is the new covenant in my blood. Do this whenever you drink it in remembrance of me. For whenever you eat this bread and drink this cup, you proclaim the Lord's death until he comes. Therefore, whoever eats the bread or drinks the cup of the Lord in an unworthy manner will be guilty of sinning against the body and blood of the Lord. A man ought to examine himself before he eats of the bread and drinks of the cup. For anyone who drinks, anyone who eats and drinks without recognizing the body of the Lord eats and drinks judgment on himself. Well, Paul uses some rather serious language, serious-minded language with regard to the Lord's Supper. Just listen to those words. Guilty of sinning against the body and blood of Christ. Eating and drinking in an unworthy manner. Eating and drinking judgment on oneself. And then he also mentions the need to do a self-examination beforehand. All this to say that there's a need to approach this table with a sense of reverence, with a sense of of, of, of uh, respect and awe with faith, with assurance, but also with joy and celebration. In the Lord's Supper, Jesus gave us an action, a mime, a sacred ritual for a community that would proclaim and embody his core message for the world. Essentially, Jesus was saying this, after I leave, just keep repeating this, until I come again. And the deep message will slowly sink in and it will shape who you are and who you are becoming. And you and it will become a witness for the world. One of the major themes, as I said, of the Lord's Supper is Thanksgiving. Jesus took bread and gave thanks he broke it and he gave it to his disciples. And then after supper, Jesus took the cup. And when he had given thanks, he gave it to them also. The Apostle Paul in 1 Corinthians 10 speaks of the chapter just prior to our scripture this morning, speaks of the Lord's Supper as the bread that we break and the cup with which we give thanks. The Greek word for thanks there in that, in that scripture is eucharistio or eucharist, another term or word for the Lord's Supper. Now, if we were more familiar with the Jewish Passover, we would immediately recognize the language used by Jesus in the Lord's Supper. Passover was the annual celebration among the Jews of God's deliverance from them of bondage, of slavery in Egypt. It was, the, it was sort of the focus of the big God story in the Old Testament. It is the focal point of the, of the history of the Old Testament, God's deliverance of Israel. And a series of plagues, as you re, if you remember that story with Moses, 
delivering God's people. There were a series of plagues on Pharaoh and Egypt that culminated in the death of the firstborn. In preparation for that last plague, the Israelites were to put the blood of the lamb on their doorpost, and then the angel of death would pass over their homes. That happened the night before they uh, were delivered from Egypt, and the next day Pharaoh let God's people go. And so Passover commemorates that event, God's deliverance. But it also pointed to a greater redemption, the Agnus Dei, the Lamb of God who would take away the sin of the world, who frees us from the bondage of sin and death. Jesus is the fulfillment of the Passover. He is the Paschal Lamb. You remember John the Baptist at the beginning of Jesus' ministry? His acclamation of Jesus, he said, Behold the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. Now Jesus offers to his disciples in that last supper a new meaning, if you will, for the Passover. He gives it new significance. He's the fulfillment of it, this memorial meal. And among the ingredients prescribed for the Passover was unleavened bread and wine typically four glasses of wine. The Passover meal is a meal of thanksgiving. It begins and it ends with thanksgiving, and in the middle, there's a giving of thanks. The third cup of wine is called the cup of blessing or the cup of redemption, and this cup symbolized the blood of that Passover lamb. And it was this cup that Jesus took and said, and again, giving it new meaning, and in covenantal language, Jesus took that cup and he said, This cup is the new covenant in my blood, which is shed for you. The fourth cup of wine is drunk, and and I I don't really honestly quite know, and I don't know how many cups of wine they literally had at that last supper, but there's a final cup of wine that is, that is had at the dinner as well, and that is during the Hallel, which is the, the singing of Psalm 136. And this might be the hymn that Mark, and I think Matthew's gospel, mentions that at, after supper, Jesus and the disciples sung a hymn. Typically, again, in the Passover meal, Psalm 136 is, is sung. Again, ending with thanksgiving. And this is that psalm. I'll just read part of it. Give thanks to the Lord, for he is good. His love endures forever. Give thanks to the God of gods. His love endures forever. Give thanks to the Lord of lords. His love endures forever. And the psalm goes on to recount that God is the king of the universe who made all things, heaven and earth. And it is this God who delivered Israel from Egypt. And through the meal, God is thanked, praised, and blessed for his faithful and unending love and his deliverance. Passover is a meal of thanksgiving. Passover is fulfilled in Christ. And so we have been delivered, we have been redeemed, we have been set free and blessed with new abundant and eternal life through Christ. We have all the more reason. If Passover was about giving thanks... We who are living in the completion of, in the fulfillment of that meal, have all the more reason to celebrate, to be joyful, to be thankful to God for his gifts to us. His love endures forever. It seems a bit strange to me that we typically uh, approach this meal with a, a somberness rather than celebration. We call it a celebration, but it doesn't often appear that way. This is the feast. This is the feast of victory for our God. 
This meal communicates pure grace. In the words of St. Augustine, it is the word made visible. It is the good news of the gospel made visible, given to us in a tangible way. God communicating his grace and love in a way that we can see and touch and taste, in a way that we receive personally. I'm amazed that God could enter our lives not just in the form of sermons or scripture, but in flesh and in food. God comes to feed us more than just teach us. He gives himself for us and to us in a most intimate way. The Lord's Supper is not merely a memorial meal or a representation of Jesus' body and blood. Jesus said, this is my body. This is my blood. And the Apostle Paul in 1 Corinthians 10 says, Is not the bread that we break a participation in the body of Christ? And is not the cup with which we give thanks a participation in the blood of Christ? The Greek word koinonia. There's a, there's a fellowship. There's a connection. There's a, a union, if you will. There's a, it's mystical. It's supernatural. We call it sometimes real presence. Somehow, Christ is truly present in this meal. It is not just a symbol. God comes to us in something as ordinary as bread and wine, reminding us that anything can be sacred and holy. And because Christ, because, friends, Christ is dwelling in us through faith, his presence is also here. We recognize his presence among us. And when we partake of this meal, we recognize that Christ is present in that. I think this is probably what, what Paul is getting at in our scripture this morning. When he says that there's a need for us to recognize the body of Christ in this meal. Recognize that he is present in the meal, but also recognize Christ's presence in each other in the body of Christ gathered here. The mystical and sweet communion that connects us with Christ, that connects us with one another, and ultimately with all of God's people on earth and in heaven. Paul says that we should examine ourselves before we partake of, uh, of communion, which implies some instruction. In other words, that you know enough and that there's enough maturity and there's enough ability on your part to actually examine yourself and understand what it is that you're receiving. And this is why we are addressing this today, but it's also why we periodically um, offer instruction to our children here. I know sometimes parents have asked me, when at Zion can children start taking communion? We leave that to your discretion as parents, but we also hope that you're giving some instruction to your parents, and we, we will come alongside you. I think in January, we're going to be offering another one of those classes for our children, and it'll be open to anyone where they will learn more about what it is that they'll be receiving in the Lord's Supper. So I hope that you, especially parents, will take advantage of that with your kids. It's important for them to understand, have some understanding of what it is that they're doing for all of us, really. Now, some churches practice what is called close or closed communion, meaning that it is only offered to members of their church or denomination. But this is not our table. This is the Lord's table, and he, and he invites all to partake. When we start making this meal something to define membership instead of proclaiming grace and gift, we always get in trouble. 
Too often it's used to separate who's in and who's out, who's worthy and who's unworthy, instead of declaring that all of us are radically unworthy. The issue is not worthiness, but trust and surrender, faith and gratitude. I want you to imagine for a moment being with Jesus that night at the Last Supper. Or imagine that he's here with us right now. And Jesus took the bread. He gave thanks. And then he broke it and he gave it to his disciples. I can imagine him looking at Matthew. Matthew, who, when Matthew started first started following Jesus, I can imagine that, that some people around Jesus, maybe even Jesus' own disciples, probably asked, really, you want him on this team? I mean, Matthew's this tax collector. And tax collectors had a reputation of taking money from their own people to support Rome, to support the Roman armies that were occupying Israel. And they were known as cheats and thieves. And Jesus, seeing Matthew, knowing what he was, Jesus breaks the bread and he gives it to Matthew and he says, this is my body given for you. And then he looks at Peter, blessed Peter. And he knows that Peter's going to have a bad night. They're all going to have a bad night. But Peter thinks he's different. He, he's confident in his own commitment, his character, his love for Jesus. But Jesus knows that in a few hours he's going to, he's going to, he's going to cave. He's going to deny that he even knows Jesus. And Jesus looks at his friend, at his companion, Peter, who's going to abandon him that night. And Jesus says, this is my body given for you. And then he looks at Judas. And Judas was at the table. And Jesus knows. Judas can feel the weight of the 30 pieces of silver in his purse held tightly to his side. He's already done the deed. He's already sold out. And Jesus knows what he's done and what he's going to do. And Jesus gives him the bread and says, this is my body broken for you. And then Jesus looks at you. He knows you better than you know yourself. You can hardly look him in the eyes, but you dare to because they're the eyes of compassion, the eyes of love. And his words are intimate. He is giving himself for and to you. It's covenantal language. It sounds almost like a bridegroom giving himself to his bride. And he knows the ways that you have fallen or will fall. And he knows all of your foibles and all of your failures. And it's not that sin doesn't matter. It does. When we fail to love and obey God, when we hurt one another, when we set aside the commands of Christ because they're too hard or too inconvenient, it matters.
When we come to the table, though, we come as we are. Sinful, broken, and unworthy. And ideally, we come humble and repentant. Sorry for the ways that we have failed and desiring to live and to love in ways that are more like Jesus. There's no other way to approach God. There is no other way to come to this table. It's not in spite of our sins that Jesus offers his body and blood, bread and wine. No, it is precisely because of our sin that Christ breaks bread and he hands it to us saying, this is my body and no matter who you are or what you have done or what you will do, this is for you. Come humbly. Come hungry. Jesus said, blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness for they will be filled. Jesus said, I am the bread of life. He who comes to me will never go hungry, and he who believes in me will never go thirsty. And in language that was raw, relational, intimate, sexual, even offensive, Jesus said, whoever eats my flesh and drinks my blood remains in me and I in him. The Lord's Supper is telling us that God is the food and all we have to provide is the hunger. Come hungry and make sure that there is room inside you for another presence. If you are filled with your own opinions, ideas, righteousness, superiority, or sufficiency, you are full of yourself and there's no room for another. The only prerequisite to coming to this table is that you are hungry. And most often sinners are much more hungry or aware of their hunger than the saints. So with joy in our hearts and deep, deep gratitude and awe of God's love and his amazing grace the deliverance, the healing and hope that he has won for us, we come to this table with thanksgiving, desiring only that God fill us with more of himself. Amen. We are actually going to do a bit more extended version of the Lord's Supper this morning. So again, I would encourage you to be attentive to the language, attentive to engaging in all of this uh, so that it might be even more meaningful for you this morning. It is now our sacred privilege to celebrate the sacrament of the Lord's Supper. All who humbly put their trust in Christ and desire his help that they may lead a holy life. All who are truly sorry for their sins and would be delivered from them. All who would walk in love with their neighbors and intend to live a new life following the commands of God and walking from now on in his holy ways are invited to draw near with faith and to receive this holy sacrament. I'm going to even extend the invitation if you are someone who knows that you need Christ and maybe you haven't yet done that.
coming to this table this morning is your decision to say, Jesus, I need you, I want you, I receive you. 